The following audio discussion is episode two of Astound's podcast series, AI and the Future of Work. Host Dan Turchin, co-founder and chief product officer of Astound, welcomes Benjamin Baer, vice president of product marketing at FICO, to discuss how big data is powering customer and business outcomes. everyone, Dan Turchin from Astound, bringing you another interesting discussion with fascinating people. This is the AI and the Future of Work podcast. I'm joined today by a special guest, my friend and someone who's been in and around the world of big data and machine learning for as long as any of us, Benjamin Baer from FICO. Why don't you introduce yourself, Benjamin? Well, thank you very much for having me, Dan. Uh, Benjamin Baer, I'm the Vice President of Product Marketing at FICO, uh, Fair Isaac Corporation. Been here for about five years, but have been in this business for, I don't know, 25 years. <laughs> Benjamin, FICO is where I get my, uh, my credit card score. Why in the world are we talking about uh, big data on this podcast? Well, so yes, yeah, so, uh, among our innovations is the FICO score, uh, basically uh, an analytic, a scorecard analytic that we invented uh, quite a few years ago now, that's used by most financial services companies to assess the and, and standardize on a, a way to assess risk, credit risk or, or loan-based risk. Uh, and over the years, we've grown that into a nice, healthy $250 million more or less revenue run rate. Um, but FICO is a lot more than that. As a matter of fact, uh, Fair Isaac Corporation was founded over 60 years ago as really one of the leaders to start thinking about data and how companies can better use their data and build business process, smart business process. And of course, you know, financial services companies being one of the first many, many years ago, obviously 60 years ago, to have a lot of customer data. And based on the regulatory and compliance requirements of the industry, was very interested in figuring out ways to not only use that data, but use it consistently throughout the organization and business process. Over the last um, uh, at least 25 or 30 years, we've broadened our base to include companies in manufacturing and insurance and retail and utilities and government, et cetera. Uh, and have built up not only a whole series of applications that help manage that risk lifecycle, everything from originations or new customer onboarding, all the way through to include fraud and debt management, uh, customer management, marketing. And we've built over the last 10 years or so uh, an entire methodology uh, around building prescriptive analytics and a platform for delivering that prescriptive analytics seamlessly through these customers and enterprise accounts so that they can not only run analytics and AI, but also seamlessly deploy those within their business process. And that's really where we've grown the vast majority of our business. We're doing over about a billion dollars in run right now. In the world of, uh, of AI and the enterprise, we think about using information about maybe, you know, your trouble ticket history or, uh, you know, questions you ask in HR to help devolve more control over those routine questions to you via self-service. So for most of our listeners, they're familiar with AI and data from the perspective of how it affects your day-to-day work life. What's the perspective of FICO on how that data is used in, in other parts of our lives? Well, so so one important uh, thing to note is while we've been very focused on the application and platform, I should say the application of data and data insights in business process, we don't own any data. Uh, and it's an often a, a misperception. We create an analytic service for financial services companies or other companies to use their data. So if I were to think about the way in which we engage our, our customers uh, very often it includes the conversation of exactly what is the predictive data and where am I going to source that data for the problem and challenge that I face. Initially, and, and one of our largest lines of business is credit card fraud, 
we built a solution called Falcon, which is probably the dominant credit card fraud identification and treatment solution in the market today. I think it's two thirds or three quarters of the world's credit card transactions run through Falcon. It uses um, kind of a black box version of, of AI and machine learning to self-learn based on all of that credit card data, what's fraudulent and what isn't, or at least what w- would fall within the thresholds that uh, our customers set for something that's potentially fraudulent. And we've been v- working very hard, and that kind of goes behind the scenes, right? It's a, it's a black box version of machine learning uh, that's constantly reassessing itself based on we call it big data, although there isn't a lot of variety to it. The volume and velocity uh, of credit card transactions is probably as large a uh, big data set as you can get. But we've been working very tirelessly over the last couple of years to further expose a lot of that machine learning. But largely, most of our customers are using it seamlessly and invisibly in their solutions. Another example of FICO's use of machine learning and AI algorithms is we do a lot of self-learning in the the kinds of decision management solutions we put into place. An obvious one is like marketing. So you're going to create based on customers' data and historical data kind of the next best offer. And then you make that offer seamlessly out to the customer. Well, they either accept that offer or delighted by that offer or they reject that offer. We want to learn from that seamlessly. And so there's a lot of machine learning built in invisibly behind the scenes in that decision management to self-assess and reassess and adjust the kinds of offers you provide based on how customers respond to it. And it can run the gamut of loyalty programs that we do for Avis or a Marriott or Southwest to something a lot more standard in a financial services originations offer uh, in a financial services organization to even a telecom offer. So we do like T-Mobile and Sprint, for example, all of their originations. We want to assess and modify and adapt the kinds of phones, the kinds of rate plans that the, their customers are offered based on the kinds of responses they've historically received. Are there any ways that consumers would even know that Falcon's being used in the background, like with fraud detection? Is, is it completely something that's OEM'd into a provider's platform, or is there any footprint that Falcon leaves consumer facing? Well, so most of what FICO does and how we differentiate ourselves in the market is not the analytics. And the analytics is very important. And we have our own platform for developing analytics and using a lot of the open source capabilities that are out there and our own unique IP. But we also ingest SaaS models and, you know, Python or PMML models. uh, And people can develop the algorithms anywhere. We don't really care that much. Our value add is determining how that analytic is then used in the business process. So the interesting thing about Falcon is it's a very powerful credit risk or credit fraud detection solution. But we've bolted onto that and and actually add value all the way out to the direct consumer itself by identifying the treatment decision trees. And those algorithms can be anywhere from, is this a a million dollar credit risk or is this a $10,000 credit risk or is this a $5 credit risk? And you want to treat those seamlessly and consistently, but yet differently uh, throughout the organization. So we include not only the the decision tree algorithms and and methodologies for financial services organizations to outline their decision logic, but also all the mechanisms that are necessary to treat that fraud all the way out to receiving and generating a text to the the end user's mobile phone to say, hey, is this a viable uh, credit card transaction or not? Do we want to freeze the credit card account or do we simply want to vet it with the consumer? I mean, there's a whole different set of 
potential treatments for credit card fraud. So Falcon is not just the detection at the front end, but it's also all the treatment uh, methodologies all the way out to the consumer themselves. So far be it from anyone to go through a credit card fraud situation, but I think we've all received at least a text message, if not a call from the call center saying, hey, we just want to confirm that this is re- was your credit card transaction or not. All of that's FICO. We all have cars from GDPR and we're all familiar with Cambridge Analytica and all the fallout there. You made a point of saying FICO doesn't own the data, but all the data is flowing through your platform, so you need to be a good steward of it, I would think. What are some of the ways that you protect or obfuscate the need to protect consumers from the data, given that it's flowing through the platform? Well, so so we have to fulfill, you're absolutely right, because it's flowing through the platform, either, either in stream or at rest, we need to conform to and, and be completely compliant with all the data uh, regulations and restrictions and and remain compliant. And, and this wasn't as big a deal five or six or seven years ago when everything was very much on-premises and we were entirely reliant on IT to build out the right firewalls and the, the right compliant infrastructure. But uh, particularly over the last five or seven years, we've been moving very aggressively to the cloud. So we did, uh, early on, we decided that providing that knowledge and that compliance was something unique to our own IP. So we built out our own cloud infrastructure and we still manage data centers uh, all around the world that we call it the FICO analytic cloud. And it it is a private public cloud environment that appeals to a number of customers who particularly those in the financial services world tend to be very conservative and very much a laggard in terms of addressing and adopting new technologies. This is kind of the stepping stone to fully going to the cloud. But actually, we've um, been very aggressively working with AWS over the last two years and are now one of their premier uh, customers uh, or partners in financial services offerings to roll out our solutions in AWS. And in that regard, we're, we're working seamlessly and hand-in-hand with AWS to remain GDPR compliant and PCI compliant and, and really develop infrastructure and solutions that are as resilient as they possibly can be to you know, the 21st century threats that are out there. You've been at FICO quite a few years. I'm curious to know, have you seen any interesting or, uh, or notable uses of FICO services that might surprise us as consumers? Well, so so I think as consumers, most people are simply just surprised that FICO does all this. <laughs> uh, you know, most people, if they've heard of FICO, it's been be- because of the FICO score. Um, and that, I think, says something both positively and negatively about our brand. We haven't been as aggressive in, you know, beating the drum as we could. But, you know, recently we actually sat down and did a, a customer journey. And the customer journey was, you know, you get notified in the mail that, you know, there's a great promotion to take a trip. So you go online and you book a trip through a website and then you, you wait for the day and you go to the, the airport and you show up and it turns out that there's been bad weather back east somewhere and um, your flight got delayed and, you know, you have to, they have to rebook you on a later flight. But you get on the plane and you sit down, you buckle yourself in, the, the right crew is there and you get a meal and everything's great. You land in your destination airport, let's say it's overseas. You go seamlessly through customs and homeland security or whatever the security is. You find your rental car waiting for you just as you ordered and you get to your hotel and they welcome you by first name because they've got you in their loyalty program. Uh, And I go through that long process because FICO technology touches absolutely every part of that entire journey. Everything from making sure you get the offer that you're delighted with to actually empowering and optimizing the offers that are given to you through uh, the, the travel websites 
to powering Homeland Security to powering a number of uh, large airlines, including Southwest and American Airlines, flight control, making sure the right plane is at the right gate with the right amount of fuel, optimize with the meals that they serve you to make sure that the crew is there when the flight's ready to go, to actually optimizing and actually delivering offers and managing the customer experience through things like an Avis rental car agency or a Marriott loyalty program. So, you know, at the end of the day, we have a very broad customer base that touches varying degrees of our technology, but it really does touch so many things that we just take for granted as consumers. We've just done kind of a less than stellar job in marketing the fact that FICO is really powering a lot of these day-to-day interactions. Thankfully, we have this platform to share with the world the truth. <laughs> so, uh, so you and I are both, uh, both avid readers, you're science fiction fans. So I, got, I got to ask you, polish the crystal ball. So let's say 20 years in the future, are we living in a dystopian society and data is misused? Are we, are we living Ready Player One or, or Soiling Green? Or, uh, or do you think there'll be some interesting new uses for data to, to automate decision-making that'll benefit our lives? Well, so, so I'm not going to comment on the soil and green comment because I have my own ad, uh, perspectives on what we're doing to this planet in terms of global warming and climate change. Uh, and I wish we were doing more. So I don't know what's going to happen to our food supply. But in terms of data, you know, this is really empowering a very different set of expectations that we as consumers will have and should have for the, the, the brands and the companies that we work with. Uh, there are a lot of people worried about, you know, data and, and AI and all of that eliminating jobs. I think it adds a tremendous amount of value in the jobs that do exist. And whether it's a call center job or, or a line job or a product management job in determining what it is we should do in the next generation of product, it's going to dramatically enhance that and make it in some ways make our lives a lot more productive and our jobs a lot more productive. Hopefully, I can say that we'll be working 20-hour weeks instead of 40-hour weeks to get the same or better you know, output. But at the end of the day, we shouldn't be afraid of data. We shouldn't be afraid of what the data tells us. I think that we all have a responsibility to protect the data that we don't want people to know about. But in the end of the day, we leave a digital footprint everywhere we go. So the question is, how and where is that data going to help us lead a better life? And I think at the end of the day, if we can use that data in a productive way to make sure that people more efficiently achieve the goals that they have or get access to the kinds of services that they need or, you know, just lead a happier life, I think that that's all within the realm of possibility. Now, you know, I'll fall into the same category with Elon Musk and I think it's Bill Joy who, you know, portend the potential for a very bleak and dystopian future, it is possible. So we have to be ever vigilant. But I want to think optimistically that what, you know, the work that we do is in, in analytics and data science is only leading us potentially to a better future uh, and not a worse one. It's time for one last question. One of the, I think, the theses that we both share is that we're rapidly hurtling toward, call it the 20-hour work week. Um, we'll be able to achieve the same in about half the amount of time thanks to automation. The question for you is, what does humanity look like? We get half our productive time back. What are the implications for humans on the planet when that's the norm? Well, so, so let me step back and say, I don't think we're ever going to get that 20 hours back. So if you think about the kinds of productivity gains we've gotten over the last 20 years, it's mind-boggling. The, the fact that we, carry, we all carry a supercomputer in our back pocket, it's mind-boggling. 
but I'm still working 50 hours a week. And I'm sure you as a, you know, in, in a smaller startup, you're probably working 80 hours a week. And I know your, your wife never sees you. I don't know that we ever get that time back. I think uh, an expectation for productivity simply comes with the time. I think that we will get better at what we do and we will be more efficient at what we do. But that just means that the expectations become double or triple fold on, on our time. And, and frankly, I, I don't know about the 80 hour a week, my friend, but you know, the 40, 50 hour a week that I'm working, it, it doesn't take me away from my family that much. And I actually enjoy working. And maybe that's the difference. We should really have a better sense of value in the day and the work that we put in rather than feeling like it's a drudgery and, you know, we're just toiling away. Now, there'll always be jobs that people feel like it's a drudgery and they're toiling away, and we should be striving to make those jobs easier. I hate to think about the poor people who have to work on the assembly line creating these supercomputers, but I'm not sure that we're ever going to see the 20-hour work week. But whether or not we see it, maybe as some of these trends unfold, maybe we'll have you back for the sequel to this. It's been great hanging out with you, Benjamin. Thanks for, uh, thanks for sharing your time. Well, and I, and I appreciate the opportunity, and it shouldn't, we shouldn't wait 20 years to make that happen, because I'm sure even with the pace of change a year from now, we will have something new to talk about. Well said. Uh, that concludes another episode of uh, AI in the Future of Work. Thanks for joining us, and uh, stay tuned for future episodes. Thanks again, Benjamin. Thank you, Dan.